0: We're in uh, Mark chapter 14 as we continue going through the earthly uh, life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 11. Uh, But before we we begin, uh, we need to pray. Uh, We need uh, God's spirit to be with us and, and opening our ears and opening our hearts to hear what he has to say and to really bring it down into our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we do not come before you in some sort of perfunctory time right now in this prayer. We don't come before you and pray in this time just because that's what we do. That's the custom of praying before before hearing your word. We, We are praying in this time because we need your power. We need you to be at work in us this morning. To give us ears that can hear, to give us... Soft hearts to receive the seeds of your word and for your spirit to be giving life to those words so that it might flourish into a a full bloom of fruit in our lives. We need you in this time. We need to hear from you. And we want to see Jesus in this time. We want to see his grace and his beauty and his majesty, all of who he is as he's revealed here in the scriptures. The scriptures that testify to him. So we ask then that you would give us life. That Jesus would become more beautiful and believable to us than he was when we first came in this morning. We pray that you'd be with uh, the one who's preaching this morning also. That you'd be upholding him and gracing him with your spirit to, to preach freely and carefully from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one who was, the tw- who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you can think about the, the best gifts that you have received. What are they? Right. What is the some of the best gifts that you have ever been given? But you think about all of those gifts though that you may have been given that you would say well, that's one of my favorites. What is it though that has tied all of those gifts together that you've received? It could you know it could be well they were all expensive but likely though what has tied all of those gifts together was that they were given with love. So what makes a gift significant isn't just the cost. It's the love behind it, no matter what sort of gift it is. And this morning here in our passage, we have, we have a woman who gives Jesus something very costly. But it wasn't just what, what made it special, though, wasn't just the price of it. It wasn't merely the, the financial value of what she gave, but it was the love with which she gave it. It was a love which came through her recognition of Jesus. Our our main point this morning that you're going to hear multiple times is this. Rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections to give to him out of love, which he receives with resounding joy. Rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections to give to him out of love, which he receives with resounding joy. If we begin that, rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections there are countless stories of love making people do unexpected things. What is it that makes a young man suddenly begin to care about hygiene, combing his hair, showering, eating better, disciplines in life? What is it? It could be that he got a job, but more likely he met a lady, right? A new affection has suddenly taken hold, and there's now new heartfelt motivations to break from old patterns, right? Because the affections are a powerful part of what controls a person, right? We have the ideas of of truth, right? There's the mind, there's the will. All of these are important drivers. All of these are components about what what controls a person. But what about the will? The will, though, needs to be moved into action, doesn't it? Truth alone, just simply knowing something doesn't compel But knowing the goodness of that truth does, though. Affections actually provide the movement. They provide the goodness. They provide the beauty to complement truth, then. See, it's affections which compel us, and they compel us in these deep-seated ways. They're the compass that, that directs one's life. A compass of a new love which takes root in the heart. It's not another love that's added. But it's, it's a new love. It's a more valuable love which overtakes all of the others that sets the, the, the heart in course. Priorities then, the priorities of a person are reordered. And life now, all of the parts of life become reordered around this new love. And this is seen here very clearly in the actions of this woman who comes to Jesus now, Jesus is reclining at table with others in the house of Simon the leper. Uh, likely he didn't have leprosy then because no one would go into his house, but he was likely someone whom Jesus uh, had healed of leprosy. And there they are in his home, around his table, sitting, reclining at the table, having a meal together, some sort of festive meal. And then this woman enters. This woman enters the room and she approaches Jesus, and she's holding in her hands something very valuable. She has in her hands an alabaster flask. It's sealed up there and it's full of anointment or of, of ointment. It's full of perfume. This sort of jar that, she's, that she had, this flask with all of this expensive ointment and, and perfume, the things made of nard, it was extremely valuable. Right? We actually find out later in here that it was, it was valued at upwards of 300 denarii, which at a dinari was a, a day's wage. So this would have been the equivalent of almost seven-eighths of a year's salary that she has right in her hand. This was functionally her savings account. In this age here, how did you save your money? Well, one of the ways that you did, one of the ways that you invested was you bought something like this. You bought a, a flask of perfume or some sort of something like this that you would then hold on to and it would keep retain its value and then you would sell it then later in life when you actually needed the finances. This was, she had in her hands, approaching with Jesus. This was her, This was her savings account. This was her retirement fund. This was her future financial security that she had. It was her treasure. In fact, perhaps it was even an heirloom that had been passed down to her from family. It's just something extremely valuable that she has. And does she just present it to Jesus? Does she show Jesus what she has? No, what she does, she does something amazing. She takes it, she snaps off the top, she breaks it open. Again, not like unscrewing a lid or, or a cap. This required breaking. You would snap the neck or snap the lid of it. And then what she does is she pours it all out in one moment. Upon Jesus who's reclining there at the table. She pours it out on his head. And it pours down from his head through his hair and his beard. Down onto his shoulders and his body. And she anoints him with this. With this incredible fragrant offering that would have just filled the, the whole entire room with this beautiful smell. And eyes went wide. Words were murmured. And hearts burned. But not burning with zeal and awe. They're burning with displeasure. And she gives Jesus a costly gift. She gives Jesus a momentary gift. Why would she do that? What would compel her to do this? Because of her affections. Her affections were reordered in such a way that love for Jesus had become primary. That was the now driving force. Love took precedence over all of her other affections. And that came because she saw Jesus. She saw him. She knew and she had come to know who Jesus was. She had been witness to the love that he had shown to others. She had been witness to his mercy that he extended to people who didn't deserve it. His kindness that he had for people. His care, right? All of this here perfectly coupled also with his authority that he used on behalf of the glory of God and for lifting up others. His holiness that he, that he lived his whole life with. Righteousness. His concern for other people. And we're not told who she was. We don't know exactly who she was. Perhaps this was Mary, the sister of, of Lazarus. Because we have in John, in the Gospel of John chapter 12, there's a, a, a similar, very, very similar account during the same week. Um, different day, it says. Perhaps it was Mary. Perhaps, though, also it may have been a sinner, someone in, who was a prostitute, as we have another one of these accounts in Luke chapter 7, uh, where it's, it seems to be perhaps a different occasion, but there is a, a woman who is seen as being a great sinner who comes and does something very similar. But either way, though, whoever it was, This was someone, this is a woman who had been acknowledged by Jesus. This was a woman who, or this was a Jesus then, who looked at her and saw the image of God that was in her. This was a, a Jesus who treated her with the appropriate love in ways that perhaps no one had ever done before. Jesus saw her. Jesus cared for her. Jesus loved her. And then she saw Jesus In his grace, his mercy, his truth, his love, his beauty. And she loved him in return enough in that moment to give him everything. And to pour everything out. All that she had in this beautiful, fragrant manner. Affections compel us, don't they? Affections compel us, but we also know that affections compete within us. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. We have the new affections that are put in us by the Spirit of God, the new affections as we are being remade into new creatures that are also though in tension with the old sinful uh, affections that we still have and they want to vie for each other. They compete and it can be more easy or it can be more difficult at times depending on the, whatever affection it is and how it has its hold on us. And what are the affections that Compel you in your life? What are the affections that are in competition within you for for precedence? What are the affections that you have which drive your motivations? This woman, though, she saw Jesus. She saw him rightly. And she saw Jesus in a way that for him to take hold of her heart. And friends, if when we see Jesus in these ways, for him to take hold of our hearts. And, to re- be, and for him to reorder our affections, you need to see him rightly. Not just a Jesus of our own imagining. A Jesus who we want to be. But we need to see a Jesus as he is presented to us in his word. We need to see a Jesus of mercy and of grace to sinners, to guilty people. To broken people. We need to see from the scriptures a Jesus who is the one who loves righteousness and holiness. And a Jesus who is zealous for what pleases God. And a Jesus then who himself was perfectly righteous. And he lived to please God going all the way to a cross. Because what pleases God is for sinners to be brought back and, to, and be reconciled with him. And this was a Jesus who came and did the Father's will, who sacrificed himself so that we might be free and cleansed from our sins and we might have a new affection, a new love, which we put in our hearts for us to love him like we've never been able to do before. Rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections to give to him out of love. To give to him out of love which he receives with resounding joy. This is an astounding gift that she brought here. But not everyone thought so. There were indignant hearts that were present at that table in that room that were revealed from angry words and from the scolding of this woman. They thought it was irresponsible for her to do such a thing. What a waste with this. What have you done? Why, didn't, why did you waste this wonderful, beautiful gift that you had? Don't you know that this could have been put to better use? Think of how many poor people that you could have helped with this. Right? What what you could have done for real tangible good by selling this and giving it to others. And they looked at her gift, not through the eyes of devotion, the devotion and love that she had. They looked at this gift with the eyes of pragmatism. Jesus, though, comes to her defense, which probably only increased her love that she had for him in that moment. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing to me. He gives validity to her gift. He knows that it's been given to him out of a heart of love. And that this is a special opportunity where Jesus was with her to display her affection. See, there's always work to be done in our homes, right? There's always chores for us to do. There's always laundry. There's always housekeeping. There's always things that need to be cleaned. The list is endless. You can continue to go. But... When the special guests come over, the people whom we invite come over there, then what do we do? We focus on who's there. We put those chores aside. There are always chores to do. There's always housekeeping to do. We focus on who's there with us. Jesus doesn't dismiss the poor. He doesn't dismiss serving the poor one bit There's a tension that lies here. He affirms its goodness and its necessity. He says, There are endless opportunities. There will always be endless opportunities for you to go out and serve the poor and love your neighbor, just as I have commanded you, just as as was commanded you in the Old Testament. But what about, though, the God who became poor for our sakes, as we're reminded of in 2 Corinthians 8. The God who became poor for our sakes, so that out of his poverty that he took on himself, the way that he emptied himself, out of that we might then become rich. Rich in the love of God, rich in the glory of God. See, in that moment, she actually was giving to the poor. But not as we might expect, but the man who was the ultimate example of poverty. The son of man who had nowhere to lay his head, the son of man who had no home, no money, despite his, his never-ceasing work that he did his whole life. The son of God who willingly exchanged his heavenly glory that he had to come down and to take on humanity and enter into a lowly human family. In fact, it didn't even matter if he entered into the richest family in the world. Anything, any earthly family, any, anything that, any family that he came down to would have still been an infinite act of becoming poor in consideration with the, the heavenly glories that he had before. And Jesus himself, as he went on this earth, allowed himself to be mistreated and exploited and ultimately crucified. And in that moment there when he was crucified, he was identifying with the broken and the poor in their sin by taking their sin upon himself. See, there are always opportunities that we have to serve the poor, and there are always times to present ourselves um, out of love before the Son of Man. She may not have known the full extent of what she was doing, and the full extent of what it meant for Jesus to be there in that moment with her, but he wasn't. He. She did know that he wasn't going to be there for much longer. In that moment, though, in that moment before Jesus, this was a beautiful thing that was happening. It was not a pragmatic thing. It was her very best. She was giving out her financial security. She was giving him her very best, everything she had. It was a demonstration of faith, a faith. And love knowing Christ enough that he was devoted to her. That he was caring for her. This was an act where he or where she was entrusting herself to him. Knowing that she had loved him or that he had loved her and, had, and would continue to care for her. This was a trust that she had in his love that, that she had seen and been a recipient of before. Love and knowing Christ enough to devote her whole self over in faith and entrusting herself into Jesus' loving care. And Jesus looks at these gifts of devotion. He receives these fragrant offerings and he receives them as something beautiful. And that's something that we need to remember because these sort of costly gifts, others might say otherwise. There are other people who might echo the, the words that were spoken in that room there. Such a waste what an irresponsible uh, irresponsible act but those words are spoken from hearts which don't have affections that are set upon jesus because hearts that are hearts which love him are able to give their most precious things to jesus because they see him as worth it they see him as being deeply valuable And because of that, then they're able to give their deeply valuable things, their costly things, their secret things within their hearts. Things like giving over dreams and desires. Things like giving our time as we serve him. Giving over sometimes of our finances. All here for the sake, though, of seeing in Jesus something better. That in him is something true and good and beautiful to have and to give to. All of these things that, that people may look at, though, with a pragmatic eye. Why are you wasting all these good things? Why are you wasting all of these opportunities for what? Right? Your dreams and desires for, for fame or fortune. What, you're giving those over to Jesus because you see him as being more valuable? Giving over your, your, your time? Think of how, all the ways that you could be using at your time, and you're really going to use it in service of Christ and, and his church? All the ways that you're... Think of all the ways that you could be using some of these, these extra financial resources you have, but do you, you really believe that this thing called the kingdom of God is good enough to give to? See, people could have said these sorts of things though, about individuals like Jim Elliot, who went to the Warani people in Ecuador. Jim Elliott, who went down there as a missionary, leaving behind his, his young wife, Elizabeth, and their new baby daughter to go down to an unreached people group so that he could share the gospel, give them the love of Jesus Christ also. And it was when he got there, it was within moments that he died and was martyred at the tip of a spear. Now people might say, hear that and say, what a waste. What a waste of the rest of his life. He was a young man. How irresponsible for him to do that, for, for him to leave behind his wife and child. Friends, it depends upon what you love. What is the love which compels you? What was the love that compelled Jim, Elliot? It was the love of Jesus. He knew the love of Jesus and it was the love from Jesus that he received also, that he loved so much that he wanted also others also to know and to receive this love as well. This is devotion, weighs the cost of discipleship and having Christ Against all else. It sees in him what is truly good and beautiful. And it wants him above all things. It values him above all things. And so for some, giving, uh, giving over, you know, giving these costly gifts might not be costly in giving lives. But it might be costly in giving Jesus deep parts of their lives. Perhaps even like longings and desires and sexuality feeling the poles of the desires which God says are not according to his holiness, but yet loving Jesus, though, with more than just the desires of the body and wanting what it is that he desires. And some might say that that's throwing the best part of life away. You're denying yourself gratification. You're denying yourself of who you are. It may be difficult, but Jesus looks at those gifts, though, that that are given with incredible love. Jesus looks at those gifts. He says, that's beautiful. It pleases me. I will take these gifts any day. It is never a waste when someone gives everything that they have. Everything, even down to the deepest parts of who they are to Jesus. The affections and the loves within your heart will direct you how to live. If you want to live on mission and if you want to live with the kingdom of God in mind, then you need to fall in love with Jesus. And the only way that you can fall in love with Jesus is by continuing to look upon him, to know him, to commune with him, and to know the love that he has for you, a self-sacrificial love, a giving love. Because that's also, looking upon Jesus in that way, that's how love is maintained. It's not just to fall in love with him, but also to stay in love with him, and to not fall out of love. Friends, if you want to live holy, if you want to live a pleasing life to Jesus, it also comes through through loving Jesus. The drive for holiness is simply having your affections reordered. Reordered affections come when Jesus takes a hold of your heart and it comes when Jesus works with his spirit within you. Again, rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections to give to him out of love, which he receives with a resounding joy. One of the most incredible parts in here is how he received her gift. It is the resounding significance of what he does with what she presented to him. Jesus takes her gift and he actually adds to it. He multiplies this one act into something more. Really into into two parts of her offering that she would have never anticipated. And the first was what it meant to Jesus' upcoming burial. Bodies were prepared for burial by using perfumes and ointments to get them ready before they, would be, before they would be put in an ossuary. And Jesus would endure a true death, a real death upon the cross. And that would be complete with burial as well. These things would happen to him. And But this here, what, what this woman is doing, it is anointing beforehand. It is, it is like a preparation for him to actually, well in advance for him to go and to die and to be put in a tomb. It was anticipating his impending death and burial that would happen just a few days later, but she didn't know. But second, though, is the lasting effect of her gift. The lasting effect, as it's, we're reading about it right now, we're reading about her gift as it is written in Scripture for us. This is a significance—a significance to her gift, which continued. Far beyond Jesus' burial and far beyond his resurrection. Because here we are still reading of this gift that she gave today. It remains an example for us of this affectionate service and giving to Jesus. She didn't know in this moment that, that we would be reading it today. She didn't know that it would be taught by the church over the ages. See, part of the wonder of Jesus then is how he takes our gifts... And he uses them in ways that we can't imagine. See, when you give to Jesus in love, it's not in vain. It doesn't matter what it is. Right? When, you, when you give him your time, yourself, your life, it is never in vain. He will use it in ways that you actually may never know in this life. I mean, think about who are some of the people who have had a personal impact upon you in the faith. And it's very likely that some of those people, particularly if it was when you were a child, may not know about, what, about how you've grown up, about what God has done in your life. They gave in whatever way there. And Jesus used them. Think again to Jim Elliott. Think about the resounding influence that he and his, and his wife, Elizabeth, now have had on the church. Think about the, 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 uh, the influence that he has had upon missions, upon discipleship. There has been a, 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 a legacy that has lasted far, far beyond those few moments before he died. There have been people who have influenced you in ways as they gave to Christ. Who are those? I mean, friends, who knows what he might do with, with you and what, with what it is that you offer to him? But the thing is, it's never part of our recognition. It's never for us to be recognized. It's always for Jesus, for his glory, and for his recognition. Jesus says those words, what she has, or what, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, this is an act of an, anonymous, of, of an anonymous woman, though who still remains anonymous. Again, Mary, potentially, but again, we don't know. We're not told here who it is. I think it's important because the focus isn't on the individual. The focus isn't on the individual who gave it, but the focus is on the love of the person who gave it. The focus is on love for Jesus. Devoted gifts are never about the giver, right? Giving a devoted gift is all about the one who receives. And a heart that's oriented towards Jesus wants him to be the focus. A heart that's oriented towards giving to Jesus is content to fade into the background and let him shine through. It doesn't require, even require any words of thanks or recognition because that's not the point. You can have a long-lasting impact on the kingdom even if you never see the fruit of it. There are some who plant, there are some who water, and there are some who see and reap the harvest then. But if, if we're driven by love, the love of Christ Jesus, if we're, if it's driven by our love for him, then we're okay with that. When I was in seminary, there was a, a cohort of us uh, uh, um, with our, our one of our professors, uh, which we were part of a, a prayer group. And uh, the words, the mantra that was echoed amongst us uh, the, during those years was one by uh, the 17th century Moravian Nicholas Zinzendorf, but it, I love this, and I still want to. I always still try to keep it in mind. It's preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten, because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the gospel, and you can just die and be forgotten, because what matters is the Christ who continues to go on and on and on. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. Rightly seeing Jesus reorders our affections to give to him out of love with which he receives them with resounding joy. See, we have this, though, a contrast with Judas Iscariot at the end here. Judas, one of the disciples, one of the twelve who then conspired to betray Jesus, who sold him out. What was it that compelled him to sell out Jesus? Was it money? 30 pieces of silver for which he did it for wasn't a whole lot of money. Certainly not enough to betray your master like that. It was a lack of love. He had traveled all this time with Jesus and he had just gotten to the point where he had no more willingness to tolerate him. And perhaps this moment right here was the breaking point. Perhaps this moment when he saw how Jesus received this gift from this woman gladly and silenced the crowd of onlookers who were grumbling in their hearts. This may have been the final straw that he found offensive. How could Jesus do that? I'm done with this. But see, the thing is that both this woman and Judas saw Jesus. They saw how he acted towards people. They saw his grace, a grace that can really only be shown to sinners. They saw his willingness to be merciful to the least and the the lowest, Yet there are, though, two responses to what the both of them saw. The woman here saw Jesus, and she loved him. She loved him fiercely. She loved him devotedly. But for for Judas, he saw him. He saw Jesus, and only came away with hardness and offense. More than just not wanting him, but wanting him destroyed. Wanting him to be gone. Having an offensiveness to his message, and offensiveness to Jesus himself. See, this is more than, I think from this year, we have, we have Judas who have been going with Jesus for these, these several years. And so we learn here, it's more than just a proximity to Jesus, more than just being around Jesus that, 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 that affects us. It's actually what, how we see him and how we recognize him and what he does in our hearts. And if we see ourselves through the lens of Christ we see ourselves as people who are in need of grace. The grace that he showed this woman, the grace that he would characterize his ministry, and the grace that he continues to show to needy sinners like us today. Friends, if you don't see yourself in need of grace, then you're going to grow hardened, just like Judas did. Self-righteous people, what do they want? They want Jesus destroyed. They want him remade in their own image, at least. The reason why is because grace exposes our self-righteousness the very notion of grace and being shown grace means that i have wrongs and it means that i am unable to do absolutely anything about them i need to be shown grace and if we are have our self-righteousness there then it forces us to look in the mirror and i will either look to him with jesus or i will either look to jesus with love As I recognize grace, or I will look to him with hatred as I hold on to my self-righteousness. Like Judas, it is an inability to tolerate what exposes us. And so we too will want him to be gone due to what we perceive as offensiveness. She saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. Who is the Jesus who you see this morning? Is his love and his grace, is it compelling to you? Or is it something that wearies you or you grow tired of? Friend, I would ask this morning that you would examine your heart. And see this Jesus. See the one who came to us. The one given to us here in the Gospels. And may the Spirit then open our hearts and our eyes to love him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray and we would ask that you would let us see Jesus. Let us see him clearly to recognize him and to recognize ourselves and who we are in light of who he came to be. That he came to be a savior to the lost, to the poor, to the needy, to the broken, to the guilt-ridden, to the wrong. God, let us see ourselves in those sorts of ways. For we all have our own issues. But Jesus comes to us just as he came to this woman. Jesus comes to, to us and he says it's a beautiful thing when we come, come to him. He's given us so much. And let that be which compels us. Let that be which, which is the new affection that's set in our hearts by your spirit, God, so that our hearts would burn with zeal for him and for love and that we would be devoted to him. And yet we know our, our, our own devotions that we try to, to, to stir up in our own selves are, are so weak and so strengthened of the devotions that we have to him. Fan into flames uh, the, the burning embers within our hearts so that we might serve and give and love. Prepare our hearts as we come to the table that Jesus Christ sets out for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.